to Houston. As bars become hotspots in his state, he closed his bar again out of what he calls an obligation to the community. I don't know how many people have to get sick and die so I can stay in business. Some states are rethinking their reopening plans. Coronavirus came up at President Trump's rally last night in Phoenix. CBS's Laura Podesta. Kung flu. Yeah. Cheers broke out at a student-run rally in Arizona as President Trump used the derogatory phrase to refer to COVID-19. 27.5 million tests. The president expressed displeasure with how the high number of tests has led to a high number of reported cases. We want do testing. We want to do everything, but they use it to make us look bad. On Capitol Hill today, Senate Democrats could block a Republican police reform bill. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi in a CBS News radio interview said Republicans need to step up with a better bill. So far they were trying to get away with murder, actually. The murder of George Floyd. A new poll by the Associated Press finds most Americans support some degree of criminal justice changes. In yesterday's primary in New York, political newcomer Jamal Bowman is hoping to defeat longtime Congressman Elliot Engel. And changing Washington is on his agenda. I am fired up. I cannot wait to get to Congress and cause problems for the people in there who have been maintaining a status quo. No results yet because of delays in counting mail-in ballots in New York and Kentucky. The FBI has closed its investigation into the noose found in the garage of NASCAR racer Bubba Wallace, saying the rope had been there for months. Wallace talked to Anthony Mason on CBS This Morning. What's frustrating you the most right now? I think that's obvious to everybody of how they want to turn it into a hoax when how just rational thoughts off the factual information that I was given. Segway, the two-wheeler personal transporter, is headed out. The Segway has captured our imagination. That Discovery Channel video may have been true at one time, but apparently it's been a long time. Segway says it will stop making its classic Segway PT next month. The stand-up two-wheeler was popular with law enforcement agencies and tourists, but it's also been known for some spectacular high-profile crashes. Peter King, CBS News. On Wall Street, Dow futures are lower. Asian markets today were mixed. This is CBS News. CBS News Radio is your home for breaking news. With our team of reporters around the country and the world, we give you the coverage you can trust. Getting to work is a little different right now. Your new commute may be to the kitchen, or the couch, or the basement. If your commute has changed, you could be saving money on car insurance. With pay-per-mile car insurance from Allstate, you get the same reliable coverage you'd expect, but only pay from the miles you drive. Drive less, save more with Allstate. Visit Allstate.com or call an agent for a quote. Price also includes a daily rate, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and its affiliates. At Walgreens, we know summer may look a little different this year. That's why we've made it easier to enjoy the moments you do make with new ways to shop. With shop online and pick up in our drive-thru, or quick same-day delivery on select items with Postmates, you can keep summer going. This week, find great deals like buy two skincare items from your favorite brands like Aveeno and Pons. Get a third item free. Walgreens. Offer valid with card while supplies last. Restrictions and exclusions apply. See Walgreens.com for details. 
Bill Cosby has won the right to fight his 2018 sexual assault conviction before the Pennsylvania Supreme Court. Correspondent Matt Piper reports. The 82-year-old is in the middle of serving a 3-10 to 10 year sentence for drugging and sexually assaulting a woman at his home. He's been behind bars for about two years since his conviction. The Supreme Court has agreed to review two aspects of the case. The judge's decision to let prosecutors call five other accusers to testify about long-ago encounters with the once-powerful actor. Secondly, the court will examine Cosby's arguments that he had an agreement with a former prosecutor that he would never be charged in the case. Matt Piper, CBS News. Actor and comedian Steve Martin is auctioning off items from his film career for charity, including the trademark white suit he wore during many of his comedy performances in the 1980s. The auction will be held July 18th in Beverly Hills. I'm Cammie McCormick, CBS News. Balance of Nature, changing the world one life at a time. People will call and they'll say, you need to get new actors. The ones you have are really bad. <laughs> Those are truly, actually the calls that people make into their health coaches to get help. I don't sit and tell you it's going Experience the Balance of Nature difference for yourself. Right now, Balance of Nature is offering free shipping and 35% off on any new preferred order. Call 1-800-2468-751 or go to balanceofnature.com today and use discount code FRUITS. All power equipment, your local Athens County-based Kubota, Cub Cadet, Honda, and Steel dealer since 1996. We are open and doing everything we can to keep our customers and our employees safe. Why shop with us? First, selection. Over 100 models of mowers in stock. Second, service. Factory trained technicians for all of our brands. And on-site service available as well. Third, price. We have been the top power equipment dealer in this area for years because we will not be undersold. Check out our website for specials at allpowerequipment.com or call us at 740-593-3279. Our community is better together. Integrate Athens, the new division of the Athens County Board of Developmental Disabilities, partners with other local organizations, groups, and people to help our community come together. The Integrate Athens team works with schools, civic groups, and communities in Athens County, helping create friends, allies, and neighbor connections. Check out Integrate Athens on Facebook for events and activities that you can be a part of. Athens County Board of Developmental Disabilities, Integrate Athens, helping Athens County become a more inclusive place to live, work, and have fun. During this unprecedented time of dining room closures, please visit Larry's Doghouse Drive-Thru, online ordering, delivery, and carry-out, and with curb service. We'll even bring it out to you at Larry's Doghouse. Larry's Doghouse would like to thank our community for patronizing our restaurant for delicious, great-tasting food, fountain soda, and deliciously decadent shakes. And don't forget about Weenie Wednesday. Open 6 a.m. to 2 a.m. Call 740-592-3819. Or order online at larrysdoghouse.com. Larry's Doghouse, 410 West Union Street, Athens. Introducing the new Budweiser Nitro Gold. A lager brewed with nitro for a silky smooth finish. As smooth as my voice. So smooth, you'll enjoy hearing me read the legal disclaimer. Enjoy response. 2020 Anheuser-Busch, but...
Hickman, Texas, St. Louis, Missouri. All rights reserved. Kind of like new Budweiser Nitro Reserve Gold. Available now. Mm, that's right. Are you tired of working out alone? Join Ohio University's group fitness classes offered at Ping Recreation Center. Group fitness brings new energy to your workouts, community, and fun. Multiple classes are offered daily. Download the Ohio Rec app to see the group fitness schedule or visit www.ohio.edu slash recreation. No one knows sweet tea like the folks around here, because folks around here know what it feels like to earn something. And there's nothing more rewarding than the taste of fresh brewed tea sweetened just right, like Mickey D Sweet Tea. Now it comes in a new cup that keeps the tea cold longer. So whether you're taking a 10 or because your sweet tea will be cold. So stop by McDonald's and get any size sweet tea for just a dollar. Lemon available upon request. Same compared to prior large size beverage cup. Prices and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. In our 70th year of service to Southeast Ohio, AM 970 and 97.1 FM. 72 degrees right now. This here. Ah, that's the right one. 72 degrees right now and headed up to 80 eventually. Could be a, ch- a chance for a little bit of rain. Hey, we got a special edition today of the party line. We're going to introduce to you Julie Cromer. Now, she's been on the job nearly a year. But this is our first opportunity to have her be with us. She is the Director of Athletics for Ohio University. And, of course, as you know, uh, we're the flagship station for the network and everything like that. And uh, so this is going to be fun. Now, let me get all my uh, switches just right here. I, sh- I think I should have it. Good morning, Julie. Good morning. Yeah, well, How are you? We're doing well out here, and uh, all things considered, uh, we're, we're dealing with the uh, coronavirus and all the precautions and everything, just like everybody else is, And um, except we're considered an essential service, so we have to be here, you know? Listen, um, let, let's, let's pretend that uh, nobody knows you, and uh, tell, <laughs> that's, that's, uh, wh- where were you raised? Well, I was raised in the state of Missouri, actually, um, in um, a a couple of communities that are actually um, not that unlike Athens and the surrounding communities and um, primarily rural and and agricultural areas and, um, you know, a few few hours away from from major metropolitan areas. So Mm -hmm. my my parents are still there. They uh, retired a few years ago, and, and Missouri is is home although it's been many years since i've lived there now your your parents backgrounds what were they well my my father actually um was a college athlete and a minor league baseball player who also coached a little bit and then went into business for himself and my mother was an educator she was an elementary school teacher now do you have brothers and sisters I do. I have a younger brother. He lives out in Southern California. He's a marketing and advertising 
executive out there, and um, he, like I, um, left left Missouri and um, started his adult career path, and it, it took him to other places. So he's uh, been out there for several years now. Sure. Well, um, was uh, athletics, um, what, what role did it play in your life personally? And, and for that matter, your brother and your parents' interest in that sort of thing. Well, I, I'm, I'm the product of, as I mentioned, um, an educator and an athlete. Um, my, my mother is um, very much into the arts and, um, you know, did some painting and illustration on the side. So I like to think that our household was the best of both worlds. Yeah. Uh, we had exposure to a lot of different things and were involved in a lot of things as kids. Um, my background personally is more so in uh, gymnastics and a little bit of dance. And so I spent a lot of my time um, as a young child and, and even as a teenager in gyms and athletic spaces. And, and that was my, my sport. My my uh, brother was actually a golfer and um, I was quite good amateur golfer um, in the state of Midwest region. But really, for us as a family, sports brought us together, like it does for so many other families. And it was a way to connect. It was a way to share experiences, whether it was watching a game, playing sports. You know, my father was um, a father. He was a man of his generation. And so um, he didn't always have a lot of words, but he gave us a lot of time. And a lot of that time was spent in athletics. It was spent in playing catch or um, in batting cages, um, you know, with my brother and with me, he was our coach of our little league teams. Um, he, you know, coached youth basketball for us. And, and so that was really the connective tissue of the culture of our family. And by the way, it remains so today. My, my father, um, you know, has a lot of time on his hands now as a retiree, as, as many do. And so he's become an avid Bobcats fan and He'll text right in the middle of the game, um, or certainly close to the end, and he'll offer some game notes and some, some observations <laughs> that he's made. Um, so you know, it remains it remains a really important cultural thread for our family. And then, like so many others, regardless of the level of sports participation, I think there are so many great life lessons you learn through sports. And so I cannot imagine. Um, you know, my personal development, my leadership development without those experiences. It's just been such an invaluable part of my life. Well, uh, it was toward the end of August that you took on this new position, the position being that of Director of Athletics for Ohio University. Now, prior to that, you you were closely associated with uh, the Razorbacks, right? I was. I spent five years in Fayetteville, Arkansas. And and uh, let's let's go back beyond that. Where where did you decide to take uh, your college courses initially? So I'm a graduate of Missouri State University out of Springfield, Missouri. Um, I was a, uh, on an academic scholarship and an honors college uh, graduate of Missouri State, and then from there I um, I. I sort of jumped into college athletics. When I went to college, I did not realize that there were jobs like mine. I, oh, yeah. Like everyone, I obviously knew there were teams and there were coaches, and it may have occurred to me that there were some medical professionals on the sideline, and, you know, probably if I had stopped as a 17 or 18-year-old to think about it, I would have realized somebody was running the scoreboard and maybe writing a story after the game. But I really didn't understand there was a career in athletics much beyond coaching, which I had seen through my father's experience. 
when I was on campus as an undergrad, I um, worked in the athletic department and in the athletic facilities, and that was really the tip-off for me. And so after I left um, Missouri State, I um, did as all, all aspiring young professionals do. I volunteered and interned and mm-hmm. graduate interned my way into a full-time job eventually, and a few years later landed at the NCAA national office. And I would say that was really where I solidified my career path and the NCAA is obviously headquartered in Indianapolis, so well, it's been you, a, uh, over a decade there. As you well know, Ohio University um, excels in, in creating people such as yourself with their sports administration program listed uh, annually almost as the finest program in the world. Now, um, we have... Um, but 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 did you do um, a graduate program in that sort of area from some school? Well, I did go to graduate school, but I um, I did not get my master's degree in sport administration, uh, which is probably not a very popular thing to say in Athens. It just happens to be the truth. I yeah. I got my uh, my graduate work is in uh, policy analysis and statistics, and so. Um, I I went a different direction, um, took on a different intellectual challenge, and candidly also thought, well, if the sports thing doesn't work out, then maybe I have some professional skills that I can use, um, you know, in a different direction. It's a very competitive field, especially for those of us who who endeavor to work in sports at any level, college, amateur, uh, Olympic, uh, professional. You know, it's, it's a it's a pretty good slog early on because there's so many people who want to work in this field. And you mentioned the um, the Ohio University program, and it is obviously the gold standard. Um, and you know, we, we talk about that a lot in the industry. And one of the things I really love about this opportunity to join the university is the chance to work with so many great students. I I told the graduate assistants who work in our department. And we have a number of them. Right. They are just, they are the finest, most talented um, students that I've ever seen in my career. And, um, you know, it's, it's indicative of the competitive nature of the program. And then I think also the way their experiences are fostered once they're here. But they're just incredible. They're years ahead of their time career-wise. And, you know, we have a lot of students, both graduate and undergraduate, who work in our department. In fact, um, you know, at this point, we actually employ more students than we do full-time staff mm-hmm. in the athletic department across all of our areas. So we talk a lot about being a teaching environment, uh, almost like a teaching hospital, if you will, just for, for sports administration. And I, I really think that's um, one of the benefits to be able to come here and work at Ohio. Well, 17 years I ran the uh, Copperheads program, and of course that's built all around our sports administration, uh, graduate degree programs, and, and undergrad too. Fascinating. The, the quality of people, just amazing. Yes, yeah, so would you agree they are among the best in the country, I think? Oh, uh, well, I'd like to go on and say the world because, you know, there's publications <laughs> that say it's the best and finest program in the world. Anyway, yes, yes, I'm very proud of sports administration. So listen, um, okay, so 10 years you were with the NCAA, right? Was that a... Was, uh, yeah, just did, about. Did that, uh, was that a, how do I want to say it? Did, I'd rather be down working with the programs. 
than in the guiding organization. You know what I mean? So, but but uh, what what were the good things that came out of that for you? Well, that that's um, really well said, and I, I think a lot of people would agree with you. For me, one of the motivating reasons to get into college athletics was to work on policy issues. And as an undergraduate at Missouri State, I had worked on um, a project with a professor and studied the impact of the NCAA's eligibility requirements um, on, on certain populations and the disparate impact that the requirements had at the time. And um, I, I was, um, I would say, very motivated. I was, um, you know, also, I, I was one of the, these people who thought that if I could just get to the NCAA, then I could change something. You know, I could, I could make it better. And um, out of that came a, about 11, a little over 11 years that I spent at the national office. And what I found was that that experience was very rewarding. Um, it was absolutely the best way to understand how, uh, policy works, how um, college athletics works at a macro level. It was a great uh, way to build a network. And, and, you know, I was able to work my way into um, some responsibilities that allowed me to work on the issue, on, on what I saw as the problem that uh, drew me in. That's not to say that, you know, I quickly got there and realized that the bureaucracy and the administrative load um, is such that one person cannot go in and, and, and turn it upside down. But it was a really good experience for me as a young professional, um, you know, somewhat naive and as to how many layers there are within college sports and how many influences there are. And then over time, you know, I, I think I, I didn't I didn't think I would be there for 11 years, Dave. I, I think like, like you, you know, I thought, well, I'll go do this for a little bit, get some good experience, yeah. um, work on an issue I care about, and then go back to the campus. And eventually that happened. But uh, it happened after some period of time and a number of good challenges and the opportunity to actually work with a lot of great leaders and presidents and um, coaches throughout the industry. So um, it, it ended up being a longer stop, but I'm thankful for it. And I absolutely think it prepared me for the role I have today. Well, I, I liken it to uh, traveling at the speed of a glacier, you know. <laughs> yes. It's, um, well, it's not the most popular place to work either, Dave. So, you know, you grow some yeah. thick skin and you, you begin to understand that not everybody, you know, sees the world the way that the, the big monolithic organization does. And that's good. You know, it's, it's good to hear other sides. And, in fact, um, you know, I, I first met some of the faculty that are here at Ohio through that experience, you um, but, but you're right. There are a lot of things that existed then that still exist today. So uh, was your next uh, assignment Arkansas? Well, I went to Indiana in oh. Bloomington. So I was at Indiana University right okay. after the NCAA. And what did you do over there? I worked primarily in, uh, I made the, the shift in regulatory affairs initially, but I worked primarily on what we call the internal side of college athletics, a lot of student-facing mm -hmm. uh, work in units, and then a lot of um, sport work and, and work with our, with our coaching staff. And, and then um, by the end of my tenure, I, I was working a lot with the football program there at Indiana as well. In fact, somewhere I, I noted that someone made the statement, you coordinated every element of football, something to that effect. Um, I did. 
that's I did other than the coaching. Well, yeah, <laughs> I left that up to the guys in the headset. But I, that's I that's remarkable, and don't for, forgive my I, I don't take offense, particularly for a woman. You know, how cool is that? Well, it was a great opportunity, and I give a lot of that credit to our leader of the the department at the time. You know, he. Fred Glass was the athletic director at Indiana. He is, um, I think, literally retiring within the next week or so. He wraps up here at the end of June at Indiana. And and Fred was unusual himself in that his path to the athletic director chair did not come through the usual systems and streams. He was an attorney. He had been involved in politics. He was an Indiana grad. He was an Indiana man. uh, But he was not of the college athletic system. And so he saw things very differently. And I give him a lot of credit. Um, he, he said to me on, on, on the day that he essentially said, I'm going to shift some responsibilities and I, you know, I want you to move in this direction for our department. He said, um, at that time, Indiana had, had not had much success in football for a, a, a good stretch of time. And uh, they are not, they are not the program that they have become in the last couple of years. And, and he had just made a pretty aggressive coaching change. And he just said to me, I see this as my biggest opportunity, and I need to put my strongest talent on my biggest opportunity. And to be honest with you, Dave, we had a really talented staff then. I wasn't his biggest talent. But, you know, when I came out of that meeting with him, um, I, I had no, uh, uh, no concerns. I was quite confident. And... I, I was ready to go. You know, he framed it in a way that made it seem that it wasn't that unusual. But of course, as you have noted, it was quite unusual um, even just ten years ago. Or so. I, I, so would, I, I really appreciate that. I would think some of the experiences you went through in that kind of a transition, and um, you'd care to forget. You know what I mean? Well, you know, it was a learning experience for both sides. Uh, I actually continue to have a a really good relationship with um, the coach who was there at the time. He's now uh, the offensive coordinator, one of the the co-offensive coordinator, I guess, at Ohio State. And so he's right up the road. And, and, um, you know, we keep in touch. And and I think, you know, I really give him credit as well because, as you noted, you know, I didn't, present um, leadership in the same package Mm. that he had seen before. But like most coaches, um, you know, he was really just focused on turning a program around and on winning. And so if, if I could find ways that would help him administratively, if I could find ways that would make some things easier for him and set them up for success, then, then that's really what he cared about. And, and so it was, um, it, was a, it was a good partnership, I think, in that way. And, and then the other thing I have to really give credit to um, are the young men in that program. You know, many of them at the time you know, said to me it was the first time they had seen uh, a woman in a leadership role, certainly within football, but in, you know, in some of them, but some, for some of them it had been the first time since you know, they were in elementary school and some of their teachers at a younger age had been women. And so... They responded to it well, as, uh, uh, just as well as the coaching staff, and I appreciate that. But you know, there were a couple of moments. You know, there were there were things like you know, I, I was you know had to talk my way into some football stadiums and some spaces that where people weren't used to seeing um, seeing women or seeing women in that role. But at the end of the day, it was a really great experience for me. I'm quite thankful for that chapter, and then ultimately, I ended up 
doing the same thing at Arkansas for a little bit. So it very much prepared me for a role like that, but in a very different subcultural setting um, in, a, in the high south and in the southeastern conference. Well, the Razorbacks. There is a... Um, uh, forgive Indiana. I don't mean to make this sound the way it sounds, but uh, there is a difference. Um, oh, sure. <laughs> it's, it's a bigger program. It's a... Uh, you know, there's a lot more, how do I want to say, a larger fan base, a lar- it just everything about it, it's bigger. So the adjustment, um, was it smooth? The adjust- which adjustment? For you, to go from a, um, a, a good program to a big program. Oh, I see, yes. Well, well um, you know, in some ways it was, and in some ways it, it was quite a difference. I would say what, what we haven't talked about with Indiana is um, the basketball program mm, and the men's basketball program there is, as you know, a very you know very storied program, and the entire culture at Indiana was built around men's basketball. Now they actually have um, a good amount of success in some of their other Olympic sports. Their men's soccer program is um, the most pro- prolific soccer pro- men's soccer program at the collegiate level. And they've had great success in um, swimming and in diving and in distance running and in, in baseball here more recently. And so all those things were happening at Indiana as well when I was there. They made their first uh, College World Series appearance. They won a national championship in um, men's soccer. They had outstanding success and Olympians um, coming out of the program, uh, Olympic medalists both uh, out of the track program and out of the um, swimming programs as, as well. some of their collegians there um, also trained in, and competed for the Olympics. So it was a very high-achieving program in its own right, but you are absolutely right about this. It's a very different culture than to go into a department that has a culture that is built more around football. Yes. And in candidly a different part of the country, um, than than I was more familiar with. I, I consider myself more of a Midwestern kind of person, and so Indiana was more familiar in that way. My mother's family is all from um, Indiana, the Buffalo area, and so um, you know that was much more, I would say, comfortable or familiar. It's probably better than than the what, what it turned out to be at Arkansas. Although my father's family is from Southern Missouri, and so there are a lot of cultural similarities with with Northern Arkansas, but. But Indiana was a great experience, and it was a high-profile experience. It just was built around men's basketball, and I'm so thankful for that. Um, you know, there were two sweet 16 runs when I was there. They were in the middle of the turnaround of the men's program at the time with Tom Crean, who was, who was their coach there. And it was really great to see college basketball at a high level in the Big Ten, and um, I know we're going to talk about Jeff Bowles here in a little bit later in the hour, but yeah, yeah, I think well, that maybe. really <laughs> Maybe I'm just kidding. <laughs> no. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So he might come. His name might come up later. Yeah. Yeah. And so you know, I think it, it it you know that experience in Indiana helps me to uh, set the table for Jeff and what he's trying to do here. Sure. Um, one of the things I love about Ohio is I love the combination of a you know deep love for basketball here and our our history in basketball here. Um, both on the men's and women's side, as well as the football component. I imagine we'll probably talk a little bit about Frank Solich at some point, too. And, 
you know, I, so the Indiana and Arkansas experiences, while they were very different, I think combined provided a really great backdrop for uh, for coming here to Ohio. But you're right, it, it was different. SEC football is a is a is a unique animal uh, to say the least. As they say down there, they they like to say that you know to use the tagline, it just means more. And I don't know if it means more or not, but it but it's something. My, <laughs> it is something different. My wife's a Purdue grad, and, um, you know, so I have a lot of knowledge of Purdue. Um, you know, I grew up with Ohio State, living in Worthington. Um, but I tell you, I am so keen on Athens. I am so keen on Ohio University. I moved here 47 years ago from Honolulu. And... Um, wow. yeah. So, I mean, so I get my call this week, you know, well, of course you want to renew your four seats for basketball and football, right? <laughs> and I said, well, yeah, but how are you going to do this this year? And that, let's talk about this a little bit because of course yeah, sure. I sat up in the tower section for football and in what the old days they called the president's box for basketball. And I've had the same seats mm -hmm. for 44 years, I think. Okay. Um, now, how, how are we going to deal with some of this stuff this year? Uh, our, wow, that's a great question. You know, yeah. <laughs> um, and, and I really jumped ahead. But, again, folks, um, Julie's had a terrific career already. And, and let me just say, you're kind of a young person yet. I think you're terrific. Now, um, we didn't even cover personal life. Are, you have a family? You have? Are you married? Yeah, my husband uh, Will uh, is, is here with me, and so we are we're getting used to um, living in Athens and in with the COVID constraints. Yes, you know, we yes. have we have been here now um, for about ten months. And I think by the end of this, whenever we're able to go back to, you know, life in an unrestricted fashion, it's quite possible that we will have been um, here under COVID restrictions longer than we were at the beginning to have a chance to, you know, actually get into the community. And, and yet we've been able to get out and about a little bit. We, we love it here. It's actually, you know, we were talking about Indiana. Athens reminds us a lot of Bloomington, Indiana. Yes. It's just um, a little bit smaller, but it's this, you know, fantastic town um, wrapped around a gorgeous campus, um, and, and we're just we're so happy to be part of it. And then I, I think the other thing we really love about Athens is um, it has such a, a deep and rich historical aspect to it. And so we're learning uh, a lot about local history, um, and enjoying that process and, and doing so, you know, until we can get out and about and move around a little bit more freely um, to be able to, to see more of it ourselves. But, but Will's here, Will's, um, he uh, arrived in December, I guess. I, I arrived, uh, in, I, I was hired on August 31st. So Will's and your I husband? Shuttled, Will's Will your, is my husband, okay. yes. yeah. And what's his yeah, uh, so, career interest? So um, he is a small business owner, and thankfully, he runs his business off a digital platform, so I he see. can do that from anywhere. Cool. Um, but he's a he's a football guy. He's a former football player, uh, played uh, briefly professionally, and then went into coaching for a number of years. 
um, and is, is a right column. He's a reformed coach, and so he's uh, <laughs> moved out of that. Yeah. I've moved out of that profession and now it has his own business. And um, but it, it's been really great. And, and that flexibility has given us the opportunity to live in some fun places and meet some great people. And um, we're doing that here in Athens as well. And, and one final question there. Where was he raised? What part of the, the nation? Well, he is uh, from Texas. So he's okay. uh, a proud former Texas football guy I and see. played football at Oklahoma. And um, so he's from that part of the country and uh, has a really uh, deep affinity for and connection to Austin, Texas, is his home. Um, but he is, um, you know, he's Boomer Sooner all the way. So he uh, played at Oklahoma at a time uh, for Coach Chiefs at a time when they were on a really great run. He played in three national championships in his five years there. And so you can't tell him otherwise. Although, I will say he um, he's he's a big fan of Coach Solich and the Bobcats, and actually um, uh, played against Coach Solich when when he was a player at Oklahoma. Coach was back at Nebraska, Nebraska and so they right. had a lot of fun with that. Yeah, Coach Solich's family used to sit next to me up in the tower section when he first arrived here, and. Um, uh, you know that whole Nebraska story of his departure and everything—a remarkable story. And um, if you don't know it, uh, learn it because it's—you know—there were Nebraskans rooting for the Bobcats. Y- you've probably yeah. heard about this. Hey, um, it's still are children. It's still are. It's fantastic. Uh, we do not have children. Okay. We don't. We keep ourselves busy with uh, with work and a lot of other things, but we do not have children. Plenty of time. Listen, um, okay, so what, um, what is it like to come to a major university such as Ohio University, be the top person in the department, and have coronavirus? Oh, well, it's our version of what everyone else um, in the world is going through. Uh, this is, so, you know, it, it's not what you plan for, and it's not what you can even maybe prepare for, but I, I really... Uh, been so impressed with our athletic department staff and our, you know, our coaches and the the team, if you will, that they create together. The team of coaches and administrators who support our teams of student athletes. It's a great group, and you know, we've rallied together. You know, we, we've we've adjusted and and learned pretty quickly how to do many of the same things using different formats we have figured out how to use technology like everybody else we figured out how to work smart um smarter than we were before and i think we've learned some things that we will continue even after the pandemic uh, has concluded but but it's really been um, it's daunting, I'll tell you, Dave. You know, it, it's daunting, but I could not be more proud to be here with the group that I've been lucky enough to join. And, um, you know, they, they've taught me a lot of things along the way, and we just rallied together as a department. It's, you know, the, the pandemic is challenging, but there, there are other challenges coming our way at this time, and people have really responded. And I think that's because they love their university. They want to serve our student athletes, and they, they love Ohio University. To be a D1 program, you have to feel, what, 16 sports? Something like that. To be to be an, a Division One FBS uh, football subdivision, which is the highest subdivision, you have to have 16 sports. You can be 
you know, you see these Division One schools that don't have football programs. So you could be Division One non football and have fourteen sports. Well, we want to be among the big boys, right? So we definitely do. Big yeah. boys and big girls. And um, and I I didn't mean to put a gender to that, but anyway, let's let's talk about um, division of male and female sports. Um, there are some sports that uh, we offer that um, we could offer in male and female, but it's only in female, and vice versa. Um, I, I've been here a long time. Uh, I've seen sports eliminated, uh, certain like the men's track team or something like that. Um, but, uh, we have the, the, uh, basis to, to be among the big boys, big, big programs, I should say. I'll leave the gender out. Um, what, what, um, do you think we should stay that way? Would you like to see addition of some sports? Um, are you, you know, what, what would, give us a few tips that you haven't told anybody. <laughs> okay. Just between the two of us. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I really, I really believe in the student athlete experience at all levels, but particularly, um, at the collegiate level. And so I, my biggest priority is to ensure we continue to provide opportunities for, you know, for our young men and our young women to be engaged in that activity. So I have watched as some of our other, you know, colleagues around the country have had to make very difficult decisions about their uh, sports programs in order to, uh, you know, try to make their budgets. And, and um, you know, we continue to be committed to being a Division One FBS school, and, and probably just as importantly, being a Division One FBS school in the Mid American Conference. I think even within Division One FBS, as we talked about already a little bit, Dave, there are there are varying levels of um, resources. So, you know, here in Ohio, I think we are really well suited within the Mid American Conference. I don't think we need to chase um, the Big Ten and chase. Uh, the Southeastern Conference, for example, and the sc- those schools um, on a year-in, year-out basis across the board in all sports. I do think that when we have an opportunity to match up with them, we need to, you know, give them our best shot, as our women's basketball team did with Ohio State earlier this fall. You know, one of the highlights of this year that we will not forget is our women's basketball team beating them, um, beating the Buckeyes on, on the Buckeyes' home court um, earlier this year, and so every chance we have, you know, we'll do that. But across the board, programmatically, I don't think we need to push ourselves to keep up with those schools that have access to greater resources, and candidly, then also carry with that uh, greater pressures and influences um, on their student athletes and their coaches. I think we're really well situated within the Mid American Conference. It's we like to call it. It's a bus league. You know, it's one of the last leagues in college sports, at least as they are configured now, where you can drive almost everywhere mm-hmm. and get you know everywhere pretty efficiently. We are universities that are well suited to one another, both in our mission and in our resources as universities. And so, I just think it's a really smart, good, it's a smart home for us, it's a good fit, and, and that's exactly where we need to be, and more importantly than what I think, personally, that um, is 
what I, our leadership believes here at the university, both at the presidential and trustee level. And so I'm, I'm really happy with that alignment. And I think we all agree we don't need to chase more. We just need to be the best version of what we can be here at Ohio. And I think that, you know, that, that group of five level within the FBS configuration of the NCAA is well suited to us. And you know, we, we talked about Coach Solich um, earlier, the extraordinary turnaround in our football program that, that Coach Solich has led over the last 15 years only proves the point that we can be very competitive in FBS football and group of five football. Um, you know, we just, we need to stay true to our course and, and stay true to who we are. And I think there's a perfect fit for us in college athletics and we're in it. So just as I've had the same four seats in football since they built the tower, uh, I've had the same four seats in the convo, um, well, for 42 years. Now, how are we going to work this? Uh, yeah. You know, I, I, um, I want to renew my tickets, but if they're all spread five seats apart, I mean, you know what I mean? I'm being silly, but, um, how are we going to do this? And, and what if some more, some additional mandate comes along about, um, being even more cautious than we've been so far, uh, with social distancing and everything. I, I, First of all, you can't go anywhere, out to eat, anywhere, where you can't hear people talking about how much they miss sports. Mm-hmm. And here this is what you do. This is what you are in charge of for this university, putting on competitive sports for fans and graduating good academic athletes. Um, and maybe some of them will go on to pros. What uh, what what does this all mean to you? And and how worried are you? Yeah, well, there's, there's so many good questions wrapped up in that. Let me start by thanking you for having your same seats in the Convocation Center for 42 years, um, and for your support, and just again for the opportunity to be here today. I, I think that um, the simple fact that you would um, you know, take your resources and commit them to a college basketball or college football or other programs um, and the way you have really shows the strength of sports within our culture. So there are a number of reasons, I'm sure, Dave, why you commit to that every, every year. And, you know, some of it may be that you want the team to win, but what I hear a lot from our fan base is that they want the experience. They want to share that experience with their family and friends. They do love sports. They understand that, you know, we try to win every night, but we don't win every night. And, and so they're looking for a, a deeper experience. And I just think that is, that's what we're missing now. You know, we want that, uh, the entertainment value. We want to lose ourselves in something. We want to watch something unfold. We want to see the surprises that come in a game. Mm-hmm. We want to see the breakout performances you know, we, we, we love that opportunity to go and lose ourselves in that live action for, you know, a couple, three hours or so. And then, and then you know, feel like we've experienced something, even if we were ourselves were not out on the court or the field. And so, you know, that is what we hold on to. That, I think, is the essence that, that attracts people to sports. 
Um, and so you're right. It won't be the same experience if you're not able to sit with the people who, who came with you and talk about the game and question whether or not coach should have made this substitution or that or wonder why you know this player <laughs> yeah. chose to go to his right instead of his left or why she you know tried to rebound at that point and 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 you know that's part of it part of it is the communal aspect of it as well so we've looked at a lot of things you know we obviously are very um focused on the health and safety not only of our own student athletes and coaches who would be participating in our events but also of everybody who's in the venue of our, you know, our spectators and supporters and sure. fans. And, um, you know, so we've got to keep that in mind and we will, uh, follow whatever public health mandates are in place, uh, at that time. Um, and I think that will, like you alluded to earlier, Dave, I do think that will become a little bit clearer as the summer goes on. We, we still have quite a bit of time before we uh, play our first game. We are running a lot of models uh, right now within the athletic department to try to prepare for and have multiple options at our fingertips. So we've organized two teams. We like to call them go teams um, so that, you know, when when things open up um, and are sufficiently safe and, and, um, you know, we feel like we can live up to the standards and protocols that we need to in order to ensure others' health, then we can go. You know, we can get back out there. And, and as we do, we want to be cautious. We want to continue to follow the science. We want to continue to follow the directives. Um, but as you have alluded to, you know, a lot of folks are, are missing sports and, and anxious to get back to it. So our internal team has been working on creating uh, safe protocols for our student athletes, coaches, and staff so that when we're able to return, we can do so. Um, and then our external team is focused on um, those beyond the department. And they, believe me, we've had a good time taking a look at PEDEN, and we're increasingly turning our attention now to the Convocation Center to try to figure out how we can reimagine this space to create opportunities for people to come into the stadium and be with the people they want to share this experience with, but also have the appropriate social distance um, that gives them um, you just, know, some comfort that they have some safety. It makes me scratch my head. I don't know how to do it, but uh, I'll leave it up to you folks to figure it out. But listen, <laughs> I mean, we, we've been so proud of, you know, 23,000, 27,000 attending a football game in Athens, Ohio on a Saturday. And, and you know, with this, these restrictions, you know, we're, we're lucky if we will be allowed to have half that number. Um, and I just, it's, it's, a, it's a real head-scratcher. Yeah, yeah. Well, I know we've got to wrap up here. I will say I think we'll figure it out. I think we'll figure it out together. And, and the good thing about um, our setting here in Athens is that, you know, we've got a lot of great support. People are renewing their tickets. We appreciate that very much. Um, we will, if games are canceled, we will refund their money. If, you know, we have to reconfigure the stadium and play without any spectators, we will refund the money. And so what I really appreciate is the support of the community to go ahead and come out and commit to us and, and say, you know, if you're there and we can be there, we will be there with you. And we appreciate that very, very much. What about facilities? Um, you know, I, I'm personally one who believes we have really good stuff. 
Uh, but, you know, every department wants for more. Are there some things that you'd like to see uh, um, improved? I think you're right. I think we're very uh, fortunate, very blessed to have the facilities we do. The Sook Center, the, the newest addition that came on under uh, Jim Schaaf's leadership, is just a tremendous area um, for us and really emphasizes the athletics, or excuse me, the academic commitment that our, our students all bring. I think that we could, um, you know, refresh some spaces. I think that there are some amenities that we are not able to provide um, to to those who come into our venues that I would like for us to be able to. But the Convocation Center is a great building. Um, I think it's one of the iconic buildings in college basketball. Keaton has a long and storied tradition. And I think if we could just... Um, you know, add a little bit of auxiliary gym space and maybe over time take a look at some of our um, athletic uh, training and sports medicine spaces so that we can be sure we're, we're keeping up with science and, and maybe even partner a little bit with campus um, uh, programming, you know, either with the Heritage College of Medicine or um, perhaps with one of our other colleges where we could, we could share space. Um, so that there would be some benefit to, um, you know, faculty and others as well. I think these are all kind of dream ideas that if we found ourselves in position to pursue, we should. So, but as you said, we're, we're really blessed with the, the facilities we have and their structure is good. We, we just need to keep working on taking care of them and on refreshing uh, those spaces as we can. You know, um, I've been a negligent audience, and I do this all the time, is I forget to announce several times throughout the program who our guest is. Julie Cromer has been with us this morning. We have another six minutes or so to go. Uh, Julie is the Director of Athletics for Ohio University. She took that post um, late August of last year, and... Um, uh, she's been associated with Arkansas and Indiana and all sorts of places, and there are so many people that have spoken up that she's worked with over the years saying, this is a home run for Ohio University. So I, I, I just think, um, obviously, a lot of people think well of you. Sitting right behind me is Scott Daly. He's our morning host uh, on the program uh, from 6 to 9 and even to noon, actually. Um, he was your business manager down there for many years. I, I saw, um, and, then, and then retired, um, I saw where Harry Snavely died the other day. Harry was a, um, a photographer for the athletic department for years and years. Uh, Scott, your father, um, um, help me suddenly. No, I'm sorry. Oh, Your father's first Good name. Morning. I'm suddenly. That's okay. He he was uh, the official photographer for Ohio Athletics for a while. Yeah. And by the way, good morning, Julie, and welcome to Athens. Hi, Scott. Thank you. Thanks very much. And I and Dave also thank you for your your kind comments in the transition there. Uh, Scott, it's nice to talk with you. I, I didn't realize you were you were there with us this morning. So oh yes. Sorry for, yeah, so, saying hi oh, good. Well, thank you. It's nice to talk to you and uh, quote unquote meet you. So uh, I, <laughs> I I love my time at Ohio Athletics, and uh, I'll tell you what, it's a, it's a great atmosphere, and we're fortunate to have you here. Uh, I've read so many of uh, your credentials and heard so many nice things. Talk to people about uh, your your background, and uh, just happy and thrilled for you 
to be here in that leadership position, and I, I wish you nothing but the best. Well, thank you so much. I feel really honored to uh, to have had the opportunity. To be honest with you guys, it, it's it's both flown by, and you know, now in this time of, of COVID, it, it feels like it's crept slowly. But yes, yes, coming absolutely. up on my one year anniversary at the end of August, and um, you know, I, I just I, I do I, I have these moments where I pause and reflect and think, you know, wow, what an incredible place, and and I am so fortunate to to have landed here and. I'll do what I can to commit to the legacy that you've described, you know, with the others who have come through. I know a lot of people have contributed much uh, to this place long before me, and and so we'll do our best to live up to it. Well, Bill Rohr was the AD when I got here, and um, I got to know him very well and all the fellows since, and uh, now a lady. How about that? Yeah, Mr. McElhaney, (laughs) uh, then Tom Bay, and uh, Jim Annell. Julie, and certainly happy to have you. Julie, I'm a former student athlete at Ohio as well, in addition to being a graduate of the uh, sports administration program at Ohio. And uh, tell you what, it's just, it's when, when I walked into the Convocation Center every morning, I could have kissed that building every day to come in there <laughs> to think, you know, that as a former student athlete at Ohio and a two time graduate, undergrad, and grad student, in a, a sports administration program, I thought, what a perfect element for me oh, to yeah. be in there. Yeah. And uh, yeah. I, I worked in finance and business for so many years before I came uh, to the athletics department. And I tell you what, it's just it was just an honor to walk in there every day and uh, do what we did as a team for not only the administration staff, most of all student athletes too, because that's you know that's the mission. That's what we're all about. And uh, I, I can't tell you enough how much I enjoyed it. Listen, um, yeah, it, it's a great feeling, isn't it? It is. Yeah. It's it's a very uh, undescribable feeling, actually, to walk in there mm-hmm. uh, for me every day. Julie, we are the flagship for Ohio Athletics. Um, IMG, or let's see, they've sort of changed their name recently, but um, they anyway they they work with us. We broadcast your games. Um, we're very proud of it. Um, I want um, us to continue to have dialogue and new ideas and help one another. And um, I'm just thrilled you're here. So. Well, thank you so much. And I appreciate the opportunity to have joined you this morning. I'm sorry it took us so long. It took us, you know, <laughs> 10 months in a pandemic, but here I am. And Happy to, to well, be back with you guys anytime you'll have me. And, and thank you both for so many years of support and service and participation in um, our department. I, I, as Scott said a couple seconds ago, it's, it's just, it's an honor. And, and it's also just really cool. You know, our yes. department is full of really great people. It's just a really cool place to be. Athens and the surrounding areas are lovely um and it's just a, it's a really cool experience i and i have to just end by saying um scott's absolutely right you know we show up every day for our student athletes they our students are the focus i also believe we have a responsibility to our community and so you know it's about you know, we're, we're working toward trying to get uh, find ourselves in a safe enough environment to have everyone back together but it, it's for our student athletes and coaches it's also for our community i think our community needs us to be active as well and, um, you know, when we can, we're anxious to get back to bringing people 
together in Athens and, and helping our community in that way and helping the businesses and um, local economy that way as well. So thank you guys for the opportunity to thank chat you. today and hope we can again. Well, we will. And Sounds anytime good. you have some uh, purpose you want to, uh, uh, you know, feel free to jump in. We're out of time. Julie, thank you. Thank you. In our seventh year, Southeast Ohio, AM 970 and 97.1 FM. This is CBS News on the Hour, sponsored by Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. I'm Cammy McCormick. Some high-profile primaries could lead to some big changes in Washington. It's still too early for results, but there are some closely watched races, as CBS News correspondent Jim Crisula reports. The winner in the Democratic nomination to challenge Kentucky Republican Senator Mitch McConnell won't be known for days. Two Republicans opposed by President Donald Trump won U.S. House primaries in North Carolina and Kentucky. In New York, political newcomer Jamal Bowman is hoping to defeat 16-term Congressman Elliot Engel and changing Washington is on his agenda. Jim Crisula, CBS News. Soaring cases of coronavirus may force some changes in areas that had started to reopen. Spikes in new infections have been reported in 26 states. That makes some folks in Kansas City nervous. A lot of people going out to eat, going out to bars, and so it's not surprising at all. And makes you wonder if we're going to end up having another another lockdown. I would not go to a bar because they don't practice social distancing. <laughs> this is serious stuff. People just don't understand. The governor of Texas is urging his state's residents to stay home. Washington state's governor is requiring masks indoors and outdoors. On Capitol Hill today, a stalemate over a Republican police reform bill, which Democrats like Senator Kamala Harris say doesn't go far enough. What they have offered is a confessional for police officers, where after their conduct has actually taken place, they can confess what they've done. They can be reporting after. You can study it. You can do all this. It's not enough. It's not even close to being enough. The people want action. In downtown Charleston, South Carolina overnight. Crews were removing a statue of former Vice President and slavery advocate John C. Calhoun. The city council approved moving it to what it called a more appropriate site. The FBI is closing its investigation into the news found in NASCAR racer Bubba Wallace's garage. He spoke to Gail King on CBS this morning. How could it have been there for nine months and no one noticed it before? Yeah, I'm not sure either. You know, I guess we're, we're all kind of hypersensitive to what's going on in the world right now. More advertisers are pulling ads from Facebook because of its policies. The reason appears to be concerns about misinformation on protests against police brutality and racism. And the social media site's failure to flag President Trump for putting out misleading statements as well. Eddie Bauer, Magnolia Pictures, Ben & Jerry's, Patagonia, The North Face among companies that have pulled Facebook ads at least temporarily. One media buyer tells the New York Times they may be forced to go back, however, because... They need to rebuild their businesses. On Wall Street, the Dow is down 413 points. This is CBS News. These are challenging times, and Rocket Mortgage is prepared to help. If you need mortgage assistance, contact their team 24-7 at rocketmortgage.com. Rocket Mortgage is with you. Jay Farner here, CEO of Rocket Mortgage. Making the right financial decisions has never been more important. When you turn to Rocket Mortgage, we can help guide you to those right decisions now when they matter most. Mortgage rates are near historic lows, so now is a great time to call 8338-ROCKET. And if you need some extra money, a cash-out refinance could give you that financial boost you're looking for. 
Call today at 8338-ROCKET or go to rocketmortgage.com to learn more. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender. License in all 50 states. And NLS number 3030. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Get your car ready for summer at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oil, check. Battery, check. Wipers, check. And don't forget your cooling system. Right now, get Peak Long Life Universal Pre-Mixed Antifreeze and Coolant for $12.99 a gallon at O'Reilly Auto Parts. And earn double O rewards points with your purchase. Stop by O'Reilly. Auto Parts. More controversy over a southern state flag and its controversial emblem, as CBS News correspondent Pam Coulter reports. The largest religious group in Mississippi is calling on state lawmakers to remove the Confederate flag emblem from the state flag. The Mississippi Baptist Convention, which has more than half a million members in the state of three million, says many people are hurt and shamed by the symbol and see it as a relic of racism. Other influential groups, including the governing body for college athletics, are calling calling on Mississippi to change its flag. Governor Tate Reeves said any change should be determined by a statewide vote. Pam Coulter, CBS News. Walmart says it will not be displaying the Mississippi flag in its stores. The retail giant is also reviewing some of the items it sells online. A lot of protests were lodged over an All Lives Matter shirt being sold online in Canada. Walmart says it was sold by a third-party seller. I'm Cammie McCormick, CBS News. This is an advertisement paid on attorney spokesperson Ricky LeBlanc admitted in Massachusetts only. Sokolov Law LLC, Chestnut Hill, Mass. Paul J. Morgan, Winter Park, Florida. Greg Hoppy, New Jersey. Michael Bo Gonzalez admitted Louisiana. While this firm maintains joint responsibility, most cases of this type are referred to other attorneys for principal responsibility. Mesothelioma. If you know what mesothelioma is, you or someone you love has likely been affected by this devastating cancer. You may be entitled to compensation. Call Sokolov Law today. 1-800-578-2400. The only known cause of mesothelioma is asbestos exposure. Thousands of U.S. veterans and trade workers are at risk for the disease. Nearly $30 billion in court-ordered trusts has been set aside to pay money to asbestos victims. If you or a loved one has been diagnosed with mesothelioma, call now. You may be able to receive compensation without ever going to court or filing a lawsuit. Call for a free legal consultation at 1-800-578-2400. That's 1-800-578-2400. 1-800-578-2400. 2400. Just Morning and welcome back to 970 WATH. It is six and a half after 10 o'clock, and we've got a little sunshine here. Hazy sunshine, we'll say. 67 degrees and uh, partly cloudy, we'll call it. And with this being Wednesday, a lot more sunshine will be coming your way here in just a few seconds with the voices of Kim and Ruth and their guest, Piper Toth, as it is time for Make It Happen here on 970 WATH. Good morning, ladies. Good morning, Scott. Good morning. The sunshine is here. Yeah, thank you for this (laughs) warm introduction, as always. Good to be here. (laughs) Well, it's good to have you ladies on, even even though we have to do it by phone. Uh, But anyway, you, you certainly grace the airwaves with that sunshine. So uh, with that, 
I'll leave it to you. And as they say, the the floor and stage are yours. <laughs> <laughs> well, now, now I'm nervous. <laughs> all eyes all on you. Yeah, nobody's, right, nobody's right. looking except me. <laughs> well, we want to say good morning to everybody, too. And yes. Ruth and I are always absolutely thrilled to be here every Wednesday morning. We look forward to it all week long, and we're so glad that you all tuned in. Um, we have a guest on the radio with us today, and her name is Piper Topes. She's actually been a guest before, so she's kind of one of our encore ladies. And you may know Piper from, she's a yoga instructor in our community, and she's currently doing classes on Facebook Live. She's also trained in aromatherapy, and she wears another hat. She works at the Dairy Barn Cultural Arts Center. So welcome, Piper. Thank you for having me. I always get really excited about uh, coming on to your show. <laughs> yeah, well, we're so glad to have you. We wanted to talk a little bit today about working from home, and even though our state has had what we call a responsible restart and offices are slowly opening back up. There's still a lot of places who have chosen um, or for whatever reason, our employees are still working from home. And I know that there are probably two types of people who, who do that and that's those who might really love working from home and maybe those who would just rather be at their office. But for those of you who are working from home, or if you know somebody who's working from home, um, we, we want you to feel good about that. And that could be just becoming more intentional about your office space. It could be putting together a different kind of routine. It could be establishing some rituals. So Piper agreed to join Ruth and I today to help talk about those rituals that could be really important, really soothing, or really productive depending upon uh, how you look at it, for working from home. Yes, I, I agree. Well, when you, had, um, uh, when you both had brought up this as a topic, I kind of immediately jumped on it because I think it's something that I need just as well as everybody else who's working from home. Uh, my, my husband and I are still working um, from home. And I remember the first few weeks of doing this, it was kind of like, what day is it? What month is it? You kind of losing track. Right, right. <laughs> right. And um, I will tell you the, the biggest thing that has helped is, is kind of having some sort of schedule. Um, and not to say that I am by any means perfect at any of this, but these are some of the things that, you know, I've tried to do to, keep myself in the back um, and just by having a schedule so I you had mentioned I teach um, yoga classes and honestly just by doing those I was doing those three days a week it was like okay yep Monday I've got class right when it was keeping me on a schedule of knowing that what day it is right <laughs> right and it seems like giving right. yourself some structure does help because working from home, I mean, I mean none of us were probably, who, who were already working to be in an office, were really prepared to like make that switch so quickly. Absolutely, right. right. Yeah. So distracting and what day it is, you know, not to mention that we have a health crisis going on outside those Absolutely. You know, walls. So all those things went into play, but after a while, I think you're right, getting that kind of a routine together, establishing some structure, 
can can be really helpful, and not that it has to be rigid, because there's some beauty no. the flexibility of working from home. But if you want to probably be as productive as you want your office, you know, having some routine, um, you know, taking breaks, starting at a certain time. Right. All the right. Yeah, I, I think would I set my alarm for every day um, at the same time, with the exception of the weekends, but I still get up at the same time that I was um, just normally. Um, and I feel like that has helped because it could be really easy to slide into, I'll just get up whenever, which may work for, for some people. For me, I just, I need that daily okay, this is the time I get up, and this is in my morning ritual is the same. Mm-hmm. Um, as well, which I think can be really reassuring during this time. Mm-hmm. So whatever that is for you, right? We all have like our different things, but you know, mine is having that coffee, and I will kind of read um, the news and play a couple games before starting my day, mm-hmm. um, and that's my ritual every day, right? So whatever right. that is, it's it's very soothing. It's very soothing to have that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And just because we're in a different space doesn't mean we should drop the rituals that we could do that we might have had prior to you know working yeah. from home. Yeah, yeah. and I think so, playing the game, having the coffee. There's probably all things you did beforehand, so there's no reason to necessarily stop them now. To, to stop it, and I think it's really easy when we're home. I, I I'm struggling this with this myself. Is you just see all the things that have to be done in your house. <laughs> right? <laughs> and so it's so easy, I think, to just kind of like, oh, gosh, I would like to have my coffee, but I should go do laundry. But I, I think it's just so important to just keep that ritual, whatever you were doing, um, and that felt like, okay, this is the start to my morning. Um, really does just kick off your day in the right way. Right. And I think when we look at just overall health and wellness, I mean, besides working from home, even if we weren't in that situation, sometimes having that daily schedule and routine is really good for your mental health anyway. You know, it sort of gets you out of any slumps that you might have. It, it helps define, you know, if you have a lunchtime, I think hopefully people can still build that into the routine, a lunchtime or break time. I can think of, you know, um, when I was working at an office, often during lunch, it was also a time when I would connect with some of my coworkers, and so maybe right. I think people yeah. can still do, you know, you take an established lunch time, maybe you, maybe it's a text message or an email or a phone call or a FaceTime, but you make that connection to kind of keep the connection, but also to keep your routine. That's, I, I love that idea. I think that's like such a, a great idea. I will tell you that I am pathetically bad at taking breaks. I am one of those people that I am laser focused, and my husband is just always like, you, you got to take breaks, you got to take breaks. So that is my, one of my challenges is, so you know what I do? I set a timer. Um, I will set a timer just to remind me, like, okay, I think that's a good idea. I think that's a great idea. In some kind of work environments, there are those kinds of cues that help people keep on routine. Yeah, right. I think there are cues in an office versus at your home, maybe, Mm -hmm. um, that give you those cues to get up. Maybe you have to go to the copy. I I noticed that that would be like a break for me, and I don't have that now where I will just 
keep going. Um, but I think it's really interesting. Um, you brought it up at the beginning saying some people like working from home, some people don't. And I, I am in the, the category of I love working from home. I like having my own schedule. But my husband, it was really challenging for him. He is a very, like, a routine person. And this kind of was like, wait, what is this? <laughs> right. Right. And I'm sure that's really hard. Right. Yeah, you know, and there's some people who, you know, been forced to do it one way or the other and would choose differently. Yes. Um, but, you know, I think recognizing those individual, you know, choices or desires or how we're productive is really a good kind of exercise in awareness to becoming more aware of how you're productive, how you feel more um, fulfilled with your job, how you feel connected accomplish absolutely and I always think it's so good to have personal insight and just knowing maybe that oh you know what this is good to know I always thought I would want to work from home but turns out maybe that isn't um for me or you know and so what (laughs) what is it that I can do or how do I um go through this challenging time because I have to work from home um uh so right I think it's like just acknowledging that and if you know that and there are things you can do to maybe make it feel better. Right, right. Um, but there's another thing, and I know this was kind of something we joked about a lot at the beginning, was that our okay. attire, our attire at our wardrobe <laughs> really <laughs> into, you know, my nighttime jammies and my daytime jammies. And so I know I, I did hear a lot of funny stories at the begin, beginning of the quarantine for people who would do, like, Zoom meetings or FaceTimes and Skype calls, and, you know, they saw each other in a way that they weren't used to, you know, ponytails for ladies, jammies, you know, unshaven beards for men. So, but I did hear a few of my friends say that finally, like, once, they kind of was trying to settle in and they realized they needed to get some things done that actually getting dressed for the day was something that helped them and, and kind of swapping out the jammies and, and it made them feel a, more, a little more like they were working. So I don't know if that's something you discovered or if it didn't really matter. Uh, because as you were saying that, I was laughing that I'm kind of in my just <laughs> slow around club. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. I was kind of uh, giggling to myself as you were saying that. That, um, but I wholeheartedly agree because on the days where I will go um, to my live yoga classes are the days that I actually put makeup on, you know, um, do my hair, um, those kind of things. And it is funny how there is a difference where you just feel like, okay, I'm ready for this day versus I just kind of get out of bed and like get to work. And you don't feel the sense of, I don't know, like you're ready for the day. Yeah. I can see how that is really why right. it's really easy though to to be comfortable. It just <laughs> right. No, mm-hmm. I, I think that that um, there is something to that, and it's perfectly fine. It's it's like well, I just want to be comfortable. Um, but I do notice that on the days that I take a little more time, 
I could feel like, okay, yeah, I can greet the world. Like, what if I had to <laughs> leave the house? <laughs> like, yeah. If you have to, right? <laughs> yes, yes. It, it just puts you in a different mindset, right? <laughs> right. I don't know if it's just that I'm used to being in, like, leggings and things, but um, I always <laughs> joke that um, after teaching uh, classes, um in that day, I'll be like, oh, I'm going to get out of my comfy pants and into my even more comfy pants. <laughs> oh, that's funny. But I think, again, just sort of identifying your own personality and your own ability to work um, is just going to be important on whether or not you do that. Because some people would be equally, if not more productive, in their, their you know, comfy clothes. Um, and then some people said yeah. it really made a difference when they switched out and put on something that wasn't totally yeah. stretch. <laughs> well, I, it, it's kind of, I, I feel like um, I, I keep saying it, but we're this like little microcosm, um, my husband Marcus and I, um, because we are kind of different personalities um, and how he has gone through this um, has been different. Like for him, he has to get up do his shower, like, it has to stay on that really same routine that he was doing for him to feel kind of more productive. Mm -hmm. um, and I think this is something I've been used to working a flexible schedule where I don't need that as much as he does. Yeah. I think, too, Piper, and I don't know if this is your experience or husband's experience as well, but I think in the beginning, when people were working from home, um, and this has my experience, so I guess I'll just speak from my experience, it was a very, it feels very different. It felt very different in the beginning than it did. Yeah. In the beginning, it oh was. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it was like, yeah, I'm not getting dressed, and I'm going to bake bread, and I'm going <laughs> to do all <laughs> these comfy things while I'm at home. Yes. Like, in the beginning, like, not getting dressed for work after a week and then trying to get dressed for work and not doing it. It's like, boy, these clothes feel a little bit different on me right now than they used to. <laughs> they used to, right? Yeah. No, but I think that is such a good point, Howard. It is. We've been doing this for what? Has it been almost three months? Right. And the the difference from that beginning to, to now where, you know, some of, of your natural rituals are just sticking, whatever that is, right? Mm -hmm. That you know that you're, you're doing. Um, but I will say that um, for me, um, one of the biggest helps has been just having getting outside. I get outside a lot, and I think that that helps because if I think what's hard too is if you're looking at news a lot, and I'm really trying to just maybe once or twice look at it. So that I'm not inundated with all of that, which can make working even harder. There's like this, um, I don't know, the heaviness, right? Yeah. Um, and sometimes just getting outside, seeing that the world is still here, you know, the sun is out. Um, those things can really have a positive impact. And I, and I would encourage you because now that we are back in the office, it's, it's as important in the office, too, to get outside at some point during the day. Yeah. Take a little walk and get some fresh air. 
you know, and, and thinking about working from home, I think it's been interesting because we've had several conversations with, you know, folks who are working from home. It seems to be the topic of conversation. So are you working from home? What are you doing from home? Um, but I think there are a lot of places that are going to continue to have people work from home. Even I do too. And I know that there are some people right now who have already decided that the folks that work for them will not be back in the office at least until September. So like this is maybe a new way of life that people are going to be doing for a while or maybe forever. Yeah, I I kind of um, have been really curious about that myself. I think I think there's a lot of benefits um, to working from home um, if if it suits you. I know there's quite a few people that are like, oh my gosh, you know, I this is very challenging. But I think there's a benefit to employers too um, if people work from home. So kind of setting yourself up for success, I guess. Um, and whatever that looks like. But um, one of the, the main things I did was, like, instead of just working all over the house, like, I work in my office. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's my my office space so that you can try and shut it down. Again, this is easier said than done for me. <laughs> it is hard for me to find that work-life balance at home. You always feel like there's work to be done, whether it's your home or your work. <laughs> right. Right. And when we were talking earlier about having a, like a lunch routine or a break routine, I mean, having a cutting time, packing up at the end of the day kind of routine is good because when you're home and your home is your office and your office is your home, it might even be easier for those things to blend in and not have any boundaries. So I think putting away your computer, yeah, tidying up the papers, putting away your computer, doing whatever you would do at your office if it is a separate location doing that from home, too, because you need to have closure. You're right. right. Yeah. And then you're able to, you know, if you have a different room that you can even close the door so you don't see, right, your, your yeah. work or, you know, if you have the ability to kind of hide that because, you know, I, I know how I am. If I'm in my house and I see laundry, it's hard not to think, oh, my gosh, I have laundry to do. So it's that visual seeing it that gets into your mind. Yeah, right. Right, and I, and I think for people, oh, go ahead, I'm sorry. No, no, I was just going to say that I think that, you know, the things that you talked about, getting a routine, getting dressed, taking breaks, creating this designated workspace is, is good for both of those people that Kim talked about earlier, people who, who are excited to work from home and people who are struggling. I think it's a benefit, yeah. an enormous benefit to either one of those people. Yeah. Right. And you Oh, go ahead. No, no, I was going to say, you mentioned, you know, that you and your husband are both working from home, and so I think it becomes sort of important then to sort of designate the work-from-home space, especially if there's more than one person working from home. And maybe some people yeah. already had kind of a desk and an office space, you know, sort of uh, built into their home, but a lot of people didn't when they're working at kitchen table, whatever they can get it, maybe they even have right. If you can pick out a space that's meant for work and kind of work alone, I think that can be really helpful to being productive, having a routine that works for you, but also works for the other people that you're sharing your home with. I uh, I, I totally agree on that. But if I didn't have kind of my little office space set up, and I set it up so that 
it wasn't, it's like my actual work office now. It does have some personal stuff, but it is, you know, I've got my bins and my inboxes and things just like I do at work um, so that I feel like I'm in a similar environment and I have things at my, my ready. Um, so that has worked really well for me so that I know that that's the office and mm -hmm. that's office time. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I find that really helpful. Uh, but it is, uh, it's funny, in the morning, um, uh, we have kind of a, a, a one-floor um, house. And so in the morning, I'll say, like, okay, I'm off to work. And then within 30 seconds, I'm like, okay, I'm here. <laughs> it was kind of our daily joke. <laughs> the commute was really good today. <laughs> oh, that's funny. That's funny. I love what you're saying about how in your space, your workspace at home, you've created, like, your inboxes and your bins because – I like that kind of organization, and I think people need to have a workspace. If it's going to go on for a period of time, and I would define three months as, as a significant period of time, you want a workspace that speaks work to you, that speaks that one you can also be proud of and that you enjoy, because nobody wants to work, you know, eight hours a day, for example, in some kind of little cramped space or just off of the table if you're going to get constant interruptions. And so you've oh, yeah. your own space and kind of establishing some of those rituals like putting things in the inbox or having something you know where you're going to put it in the mail or you're going to file it away or all the kind yeah. of tasks that you have when you're at an office that you when you're at home mm -hmm. yeah so i'll tell you what that was really reassuring to me i, I think i set it up after like three weeks of, of doing this because the first couple of weeks I just noticed like where is everything I don't I don't know where this is what am I doing with this and so I took um, I was able to grab some um, bins from my office and I just kind of recreated my office setup um, so that it was very similar and so that was that was reassuring as well I think that I had the similar setup what I was doing and it made sense and it was like okay this is how I used to work in the office <laughs> right. right you know one of, one, of my, one of my favorite things about working from home is getting to see other people in their homes being you know with their cats I guess you know on their lap or you know yes. out the back window and see that you know, this is somebody that you've worked with forever and you just never knew what things look like out the back door and have to live in the woods or any kids that run in. That's like my favorite part of all of this. Is just yeah, it's so funny that you said that. I, I'm so with you. Um, you know what I've been enjoying is actually seeing um, some of the talk show hosts, the late night hosts, and getting to see their homes too. Yeah. Like it's it's it making is. all of us seem more human in a really nice way. Right. And making all of us <laughs> See all like all the pieces of our lives important. Like you know, we are yes, yes. of all of these experiences, and it's just wonderful that this is a, a platform and this is a new platform that's kind of um, just allowing us to accept people wherever they are with whatever they have, and if they have to take a break because somebody's you know, toddler's knocking at the door. That's okay. I, I just love that. Yes, yes. I do too. I'm with you. It just has made. It's. I keep trying to find silver linings during this time 
which sometimes can feel really hard. And that has been one of them of just, you do feel like you get to know people on a better level than from just the office. You're, you're learning about their home life a little bit more. Maybe you didn't know they had a pet or right. Um, I think that has been such a, a nice part of it too. Um, uh, I will tell you though, are you guys getting over the, the hump of the, the video thing? Um, that was so challenging at first for me. And then especially teaching a class that in that way. You mean like a Facebook Live or a Zoom or something? Yeah, yeah. So that was like a little hump for me to get over. Of I just feel like I'm talking into dead space. Are people out there? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think there was definitely a transition, a learning uh, curve. I, I think that for the most part, I think it's been really successful. People are getting there. And I love, yeah, for sure. Are creative too, like a feature that I have not used myself yet, but you can change your background. So, I haven't done that yet either. (laughs) If you want to look like you're at the beach, you can. (laughs) And I think that's pretty awesome. (laughs) Is that only (laughs) for Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I've seen people do it, but I haven't. I've yet to do it myself, too. It's kind of like a green screen effect, Kim, where you, where it just kind of keeps your picture. And the funny thing is, I've even seen people on Zoom, and they choose a background that just looks like somebody else's office or living room. <laughs> 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 you can tell they're like fuzzy edges around their hair. You know, yeah, so like, you can tell it's kind of like a green screen. Right, right. And I just think, oh, that's, okay. Oh, that's right. <laughs> but that's all right. That's funny, yeah. <laughs> well, I think it's... No, go ahead. Oh, go, go ahead. I was going to say, I think another um, challenging part, too, is if you have kids or pets at home, and um, that can be challenging, you know, trying to carve out work time around that. Right, Right. especially those kids home from school. Yeah. Oh, God, right? Yeah. You can't find when a squirrel runs across your backyard and your dogs get excited, right? Right. Yes, yes, you're on a call, and yes. (laughs) (laughs) Right. But again, it it adds that, I think, humanness. um, Yes to us all, which I think for some people probably could feel a little um, disarming if they have a certain kind of persona or feel right. Um, And so, again, just going back to acknowledging your personality and how you like to be, um, you know, in the world and in your work life. Yeah, right, right. I heard a good story. Um, I know one of the things that I would miss about working from home compared to working at my office was we always had um, like a celebration, small but a celebration during staff members when it was one of our um, staff members or team members' birthdays. And so when you're not all together, some of those things can go by the wayside. So I heard, yeah. I heard this story where people were... Um, setting up conference calls for their team's birthday and an advantage they had, although they could do this from work, it just never really occurred to them to do it, but they set up a, like some kind of Zoom call or a FaceTime call with 
all of the staff to wish them happy birthday, but they also um, surprised the staff members by dialing in their mother. And their mother showed up on the call. Wow, that was really great. But, you know, we were very close knit, and so this was very special. And it was just one of those things again, birthdays were rituals in my office. And so I would really miss that if I were working from home and we didn't do something to connect to celebrate that person's day. But yeah. I thought the mother's that's, story that's was the biggest life. thing. Yeah. I, that's what I miss too um, about being in the office. We, um, we're very, we're very collaborative or are very collaborative and uh, you know, we could just shout from our offices like, Hey, are you working on this? Or, like, I, I miss that. Um, yeah. We've been using Google Hangouts a lot as like a way to kind of be able to shout something out at any given time. Um, so just using kind of technology, if you have like that instant messaging, it can maybe make you feel like you're in the office and just asking a quick question um, to somebody because I do miss that. Yeah, I think that's right. another aspect, and and not just with working from home, but you know, living through a pandemic has made people have to think about their jobs differently on a hundred yes. different levels, right? And so I think it's the creativity that I've seen. I mean, I love your story, Kim, because what what a Special. I mean, that's the reason why you right. have those birthdays is to just make people feel special. And, and I love that. Watching people be creative in different ways is just an, another kind of thrill for me to see people doing yeah. things differently. Um, and I'm always amazed at that. I'm so amazed by people's creativity. All the things I've seen people do during this quarantine time. It's like, wow, <laughs> people are creative. Right. And that's, that's a good thing, too, because I know one of the things that, that worried me initially about this work from home is that you just have this tendency to um, sound a little isolated because people are no longer with their team members or their staff members wherever they are working. And while technology is here, and a lot of things with huge success, so much so I'm going to continue. I still um, probably one of the best situations, work situations, or any situations, really has a combination of that technology, flexibility, but also the people connection, that face-to-face -face contact. Um, yes. So I, you know, hopefully you're right. The creativity really, I think, highlighted some of the blending that can happen with working from home and technology. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and having those um, times, like, you know, we have a regular staff meeting and just seeing everybody's face again is just, oh, yeah, okay, I remember this is what it's like to be in the office uh, is, is really nice to have. Yeah. Piper, you are such a special person when it comes to people, I think, through your yoga classes, through aromatherapy. I know we need to wrap up here in another minute or so. So we're not five minutes late. <laughs> 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 there anything, though, as far as rituals and working from home that you want to share that we haven't talked about or that you just 